Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, where we talk about combat sports, comic books, gaming, pop culture, and anything else my friends want to talk about. Hosted by yours truly, Nick Batman Hughes. Alright, picking up the Batphone this week is the Batphone Podcast Breakout Performance Award winner from the M16 Open, Daniel Munchausen by proxy. How's it going? Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's going good, man. It's going good. good. How are you, man? I'm not too bad. I've got a cut on my eye, as you noticed from <laughs> yeah. wrestling. I don't know what happened this week, but everyone just cocked it, man. Like this this specific week of training, everyone's injured and dead. It's been it's been such a weird one because like everyone's either uh, you know cop like nasty cuts or getting injured or copping like knees to the face and getting concussed. So, yeah, like it's just uh, we uh, we we. Don't rate that. <laughs> but it does happen. It does happen. What a great endorsement for grappling right now. <laughs> you will inevitably break. You might have a good few weeks, but it's all going to go downhill from there. I think someone described jiu-jitsu to me as like just bouncing from like one injury to the next. <laughs> and like I wanted to like completely disagree with him and then I like thought about like like what I've been doing for like the past 4 years and it's just been like no, no, he's He's got a point. <laughs> yeah. If you revisit that conversation in the future, you're just going to have to say, bouncing from one injury to the next gracefully. In style. Yeah, yeah. In style. <laughs> well, I've got to do something then. I, I'm true to my word here. <gasps> I've just revealed Daniel's prize that he won yes! for the Batman breakout. This is a DC Icons action figure. So it's a slightly smaller scale action figure, but it's directly from... Uh, the Hush storyline, as you can see, depicted by the grey suit, black Batman logo, and the slightly blue cape oh, and cow combo, yellow belt. It's very well articulated. Yeah. It has a batarang and a grappling hook as accessories, and you can style that in any way, shape, oh, or form that you see fit. I rate that so hard. So if you do win the Breakout Performance Award uh, from the Batphone podcast, you do get a piece of useless memorabilia from my personal collection, which is uh, probably the best prize you could ever receive in the sport of grappling as well. So, Oh, look, look, this is, uh, this is going right on top of the mantelpiece. Just like, <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to like build a tower out of metals and this is going to sit on the top. And I feel sorry for you if that sits on the top. <laughs> um, this is the best award you've ever done. I'm feeling bad. But look, man, you... You did win that award. Um, you had a match on the M16 Open recently against Michael P. I would try to pronounce his last name, but he's actually really quite talented. I've had a lot oh, yeah. to do with him over the years in terms of rolling interactions. You know, progressive have always been great yeah, in terms of um, being an open door. I've known Jarek and Sean and Dan for years and years and years. And Michael, even you know, when I was out at Trinity, he would come out and wrestle mm. um, when I was in between gyms. I was wrestling down at Progressive and we would have great interactions as well. I know he's quite talented. Yeah. Now he came into that match, I think with a pretty well scouted game plan. He probably thought, well, Daniel's likely not going to wrestle with me. I think you guys have had matches before. In yeah. The past as well, yeah. So we've had a couple. Likely not going to wrestle me. He knows you had a dangerous straight footlock and that would be your fallback plan or go-to plan potentially. So every time you sat and made connection, he was rolling over 
and looking for entries to the guillotine in the front headlock. Mm. And it did its job. You know, he really went after it. it he went for it fast, quick, smooth, precise. Uh, and he got some bites on the front headlock you were able to fight off. And then he insisted more on that straight footlock because there were some leg entanglement exchanges that you had. Yeah, I know that this was a more late notice matchup for you. Yeah, there's there's actually a little fun story to go. Yeah, with that and this one. is what I wanted to ask you. <laughs> Tell me about the lead up to the last M16 and how you felt on the day. So, um, funnily enough, like I wouldn't actually have gotten onto the M16 if it wasn't for um, like my army mate that I brought in the other yeah. day, Dylan. Yeah. Um, we were actually sitting in training. He happened to be down in Adelaide for uh, for the week, and um, I was about to take class at Balboa. And, uh, all of a sudden he just like yells out from across the room, like, Hey man, you want a match on the M16? <laughs> I'm kind of sitting there going like, what, what, <laughs> what do you, what do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I want a match on the M16. Like not really expecting anything to happen from it. And then I, I checked my phone after class and I have a message from Miles and he's like, yeah, you're on the card, man. And I'm <laughs> like, on. oh wow. Okay, cool. You're fighting now. <laughs> <laughs> No, hang on, I have to do that better. If it was Miles messaging you, it would have been like, Yeah, bro, you're fighting, fucking. You'll see you on the next M16, you're a good bloke. I feel like... the. I feel like Miles' voice is just an Australian Batman. <laughs> How dare you? In like a nice way. How dare you? For the first time I heard him talk, I'm like, Pack-a-day smoker Miles Simpson is, is telling me how it is. Nah, he's the, he's the nicest dude, man. Oh, he's wonderful. He's actually... You know, pound for pound, he's done about as much for the the uh, Adelaide South Australia MMA and grappling scene as, say, someone like Greg Toyama or Craig Ike mm. in terms of uh, creating opportunities prolifically. Like, mm. he's just over time, he just keeps racking up credit after credit for making shit happen, man. And, he, you know, he's not asking for anything for it. He's not building a fortune empire like IBJJF. Like he's literally just providing opportunities to people, even in so far as providing opportunities to people like Declan and Adam mm. to be part of his academy. You know, yeah, that's 100%. a pretty cool, pretty cool thing that he's doing, man. So when you get the message from him, you can put on the voice, you, but you put some respect to the name. hundred oh, percent. You put some I've, respect to the name. I have, I have so much respect for like. Miles and Adam and for like what they've done like for the Adelaide grappling scene by creating the M16 just because like I guess outside of you know grappling industries AGC states we we don't really have anything like that mm. um, you know anywhere in the state or I'm not even sure if we have anything like it in Australia or we have you know mm. super fights at Blue Belt like unheard of yeah but we get to like we get to go out there we get to show our stuff and it's it's just such an awesome platform that yeah. um you know even like aspiring white belts or um blue belts it just gives them something to aim for yeah um and i've had so many people just be like you know i want to end up on an m16 yeah um you know like how do i go about it and i'm like i have no idea i just got lucky but at the <laughs> same time um like, if you want to end up on an M16, like, you know, don't be afraid to drop Miles a message or drop Adam a message. They're yeah. both hella children. They want you to. They, yeah. they want you to put your hand up and say, hey, I'd like to do this. They they want to promote all of the different academies from across South Australia and Australia alike. Mm. I think you're right in the way that 
there are other shows out there nationally that are doing super fights uh, and they are paid super fights as well. Mm. It's not, it's not like it's just a semi or non-professional thing. They are quite high exposure. Boa comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Coffs Harbor international uh, invitational, sorry, comes to mind and they've historically put on some pretty high level bouts but what M16 is doing, I think they're looking at it more objectively in terms of what is the gap or what, mm. are, what are the issues or what are the problems that we can solve with the competitions that we put on. Mm. So, you know, having a, the round robin event that is coming up be white, blue, and then a pro division in which you can use the skills that you've been working on. Because there's this little bit of a mismatch that is occurring in jiu-jitsu and grappling at the moment between the way that people train uh, the range of techniques and strategies that are available to the common practitioner versus the range of strategies and techniques that are available to the competitor. Mm. So what you need to know now at white belt is so astronomically different yeah. <laughs> to what you needed to know at white belt five to six years ago to be competitive in a jiu-jitsu competition. It's like night and day. Yeah. So the other thing that is happening is some of the walls are being broken down technically as well. Mm. So let's say you started to develop a skill set at white belt and blue belt and purple belt that was maybe open guard related, whether it was Delaheva, reverse Delaheva, feet on the hips, seated guard, whatever it may be. But you're developing that in a world where you can't be heel hooked or you can't be calf cutted or you can't be yeah. rotational footlock. So you're developing in a way that isn't transferable at the higher belt ranks, right? So how long did it take you to get to purple belt? You know, a long time. So you've spent five, six, seven, almost eight years developing a game plan that is going to be very difficult to translate when mm. you've reached the higher ranks. Whereas that's sort of being knocked over now yeah. because entry level white and blue are being exposed to heel hooks. Mm. They're being exposed to rule sets where they can enter into the saddle, where they can enter into backside 50 and utilize it for its best purposes. K-guard as well. Yeah. So they're developing really good total transferable strategies from the inception of them you know, partaking in the R that leads to really rapid acceleration of their skill set. And if they don't have a competitive avenue where they can practice that total skill set in a realistic format, then they're just going to get hampered. That whole situation, yeah. that whole cycle will play out again where they don't have an avenue to practice their all of their skills. They're always going to be chopping parts out of their game yeah. to fit into a rule set. So M16 have been able to bridge that gap a little bit. They've yeah. done it by having consistent avenues to compete in an ADCC rules format. Mm. For people who wish to achieve the pinnacle of what they can achieve in Nogi. Yeah. And now they're doing the same thing via the rule set as well. Mm. I think the days of argument, the argument being that you know heel hooks are dangerous. Every, every submission is dangerous. Yeah. An armbar is dangerous if you are not educated in how to apply it. Mm. And if the recipient is not educated in how to tap and receive it. Like Everything is dangerous. But yeah. the more we can break down those barriers and start to include these elements from earlier on, the defense will be commonplace. The mm. knowledge about the position will be greater and will be safer in well, general. That, it just means you're then safer to train it as opposed yeah. to, um, you know, rocking up to say an open mat and coming across someone that's like, oh God, this is a heel hook. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, 
I think like I've been having this conversation with a lot of people recently as well, where like it's just turned into this like the 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 thing that causes the most amount of injuries with like leg entanglements specifically is just people not being aware mm. of um, you know the particular position that they're in, um, how to apply the submission, how to not apply the submission. Um, because at the end of the day, if you're applying a submission correctly on someone, you will have a hundred percent of the control. Um, even if your partner decides to spaz out of it, you can let, let go of it safely. Yeah. Um, but like, if like I always like to say, like the a, a correctly applied heel hook is less dangerous than someone who's just kind of got the heel and ripped it. Yeah, or just grab the foot and ripped it. Yeah, yeah. How, how quickly does a straight foot lock turn into an Aoki lock without knowledge? You know? Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> and it, is, it is terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. But what if, you know, a white belt got taught foot lock finishes and they're like, yeah. this is a straight foot lock. This is what an Aoki lock is. Mm. This is an Estima lock. These are the different configurations. This is when it's going to come up. This is how you apply them. This is how you keep yourself safe. Cool. They're not legal in this rule set, this rule set, this rule That's yeah, the next yeah, yeah, conversation yeah. that we have. But they exist, and you're going to be confronted by them in the training room. I think the other time people get hurt is when they gunfight. Yeah, uh, yeah. And one person is more educated in the battle than the other. And that creates a disconnect in when to tap and what to tap to. Yeah. So the advent of control positions in leg locking, whether it be 50-50, 80-20 saddle whatever it may be it means there's a control point access that you're going for so let's say the control point that we're talking about today is 50 50 right mm. and i've dumped my knee inside i've framed in i've got all i've got all the ascendancy in the position that's turning into 80 20 i'm reaching in for the inside heel hook and instead of reacting to that defensively you try to put a figure four footlock on me yeah and because you know you're in danger, you put that figure four footlock on 20 times as hard <laughs> as you would have as if you actually initiated the attack. So we're gunfighting and it just leads to overexertion. Mm. And it, it's similar, like we've both got a straight footlock. You know, one person's outside Ashi, one person's digging for the foot to try and get a bite on it. We're trying to gunfight trying to battle these positions and then the straight footlock turns into an aoki lock and they put straight footlock belly down pressure on it which you don't need and then injuries occur you know or you know people people in the figure four footlock i've seen a lot of injuries occur like that because unlike a heel hook these days or a knee bar or a straight footlock there's like a lack of control position that that needs to work you can literally jump on a figure four footlock from anywhere. Yeah. You can be on top in half guard and just roll through. So the other person defends in a very frenetic way and they end up hurting themselves in the figure four. Yeah. If it's obvious, I'm locked in, I'm in the figure four, people know the parameters of that spot a little bit more. Yeah. So you see guys like the Meow brothers have their toes curled into their butt and they don't care. Yeah. Right? It's because it's an identifiable position. Granted, those guys are made out of rubber. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably a shitty like example to use, to be honest, because they're like the epitome of I'm not going to tap to your footlock. But, you know, general white belt or blue belt, who hasn't experienced that position much, they don't know when to tap to that footlock and yeah. things start happening. 
um, but it needs to be broken down. It needs to be explained, and it needs to have the chance to be explored. Yeah, that, that's my opinion on all of those things. I might also be wrong. Yeah. If if someone presents to me an argument that is contradictory but very valid, I'm willing to take that on board. That's what I believe right now, yeah. based on the data. Yeah, yeah. I look. I, I almost want to like play devil's advocate here mm, and like throw that argument um, at you, but it, it's hard because I do it. <laughs> I tend to agree with agree you a little here, bit, yeah, yeah on, on on the fact that like um, again, just letting people sort of explore the whole idea of okay, when you get into this grip, like say it's just a regular hill hook grip, no butterfly, nothing too crazy. But like, you know, when we apply a little bit of torque in this direction, mm. you can feel the tension and you can feel the potential damage that you cause. Mm. And um, like without sort of that sort of environment sort of occurring, you get to the position and you sort of don't know where the limit is mm. without sort of applying it. Mm. So then you get into this competition situation where... You know, you get to the position and because we're in a competition, we need to apply this submission mm. like right away so I can win the match. But at the end of the day, you don't know how much torque you're about to put through someone's MCL yeah. or their ankle or their toe. Like mm. it just uh, ends up being this super fast, almost explosive yeah. maneuver yeah. that unfortunately ends up as a result of an injury. So um, again, like I understand people not wanting, say, like, brand new white belts mm. to explore the whole idea of, you know, chasing after someone's lower half of the body because mm. there is so much other jujitsu that yeah. they need to learn. Um, but at white belt, getting introduced to the fact that, like, hey, we're not just going to be, you know, doing mm. wrestling in fancy pajamas. There's, yeah. also, there's also, like, you have legs, you have ankles, and it's part of your rule set. Yeah. And um, I said, making them aware of what the footlock is or what the yeah. heel hook is means that they can make a better assessment about when to tap. Yeah. Like literally if just the lesson was when to tap yeah. to footlocks or to heel hooks or to understand the difference, mm. like they'll be able to roll with safety sooner, yeah. quicker. Uh, you could link that even. You could be teaching a, a lesson about an armbar. Hey, well, this is when you need to tap to an armbar. It's quite obvious, right? Yeah. Hey, let's take that downstairs. Look at this footlock. So mm. here's the same type of pressure you were putting into an armbar. You kind of don't need to put that much pressure into like a footlock or a heel hook because this is the these are the forces that you're generating with your movement. So mm. here in the armbar, you give this amount of pressure, but here in the footlock, you give less pressure to get yeah, it yeah. I think if you can equate them, in that way, maybe that's a, a smoother transition or an easier transition. But very few clubs take that line. I know I don't. I, I've never even, you know, we've been talking it through for the last five to ten minutes and just coming up with potential ways to troubleshoot this. But I've, I've never equated it in my mind that we could link the pressure to give to a submission from one to the next. Hey, mm. how, much, how much squeeze do you really need to finish a guillotine? Yeah. How much pop of the hips do you really need <clears throat> to finish an armbar? Well, you need less to do it for a heel hook. Yeah. I think you definitely see it at the highest levels. You're 100% right when you, when you said that people perceive this heel hook to win a match, mm. to be like an explosive movement, and I, get, I need to give all of my pressure to immediately to get the tap. You mm. don't. At the highest levels, you don't necessarily see it. The people who are really fleshed out those positions well 
if it's low to mid stakes, they have the spot and the guy knows it's over. Mm. You know, Craig Jones has broken people's legs off out of their own stubbornness. He doesn't want, he, he doesn't go whack. Yeah. He doesn't go bang and smash these on. They do it to themselves almost. Yeah. I mean, Lachlan Giles, when he was doing this to Giants going to backside 50 in ADCC, mm. he still wasn't going whack. Yeah. All right. They kind of did it to themselves in a way where they just didn't move through position. He gave more force to those transitions in that setting. Yes, because he wanted to win, mm. but also because they were Giants. Yeah. If, that, if this was someone his own size, I don't think he's the type of person who would like to destroy someone's knee but mm. because he understands it intrinsically as you know as a fucking doctor or whatever he is physio he's a physio yeah. right he understands it he understands it on a deeper level and a deeper detail he knows exactly how much pressure to give to elicit the tap and exactly how much pressure is going to elicit an injury yeah. so he's very well informed in that way if we can get people you know, 80% to that level of informed about what they're actually doing. Yeah, probably, probably right. Like, yeah, just, you think about the amount of control that like we use when we apply, uh, say like a choke, Mm. right? A rear naked choke. We're not just like, you know, ripping on, trying to squeeze as hard as we can. Mm. It's always just that gradual start counting to five. Squeeze a little bit harder, squeeze a little bit harder, squeeze a little bit harder, and eventually they'll tap or they'll take a nap. Um, but I, I guess, I don't know where this whole idea of, you know, ripping submissions is kind of really came from, because when we, when we think about it, um, you know, take the armbar position, for example, the enemy of an armbar, well, the enemy of an armbar is movement, Right. Um, so when someone goes for escape, we counter with our leg configuration, um, and we try and stop our opponent moving from as much as possible. Once we've stopped our opponent from moving, we can then, and I'll put this in quotes, apply the arm bar. Usually we just have to straighten the arm and our opponent will tap. We don't have to put that extra pressure through the elbow joint and hyperextend stuff. But like, I don't understand why, um, like you obviously see this at the highest level, like you said, with like Craig, um, with with even like Jeremy Skinner, and you know these real leg lock artists, they get to the position they have one hundred percent control. While we can't then transfer this into how we teach, um, you know how to apply leg locks. Or... I think it's happening. Yeah, slowly. I think the whole rip it on thing actually potentially maybe the fault of MMA. Okay. Um, not fault, but it's just via the rule set. Mm. You know, you're in a rules meeting backstage at an MMA event. You know, their job is not... It, their job is to protect the fighter, right? Yeah. But the fighter's job is also to protect themselves. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if they're tap, 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 tapping, right? And then you stop, but the referee hasn't <clears throat> stopped you, there's conjecture. We've seen this many, many times. Mm. And... Because it happened once, people feel like it could happen to them. And they put so much into this fight and getting into this position and getting this victory. And there's so much on the line. There's a lot of exposure. There's a lot of eyes. There's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of consequence for them not getting this submission. Yeah. The guy might get out and smash you in the face a couple of times, right? So they are going to rip it on to 100% and they are not going to stop until the referee stops them. Mm. Because then they know they've won. That's so that's so interesting. Because 
like I've, I've, I've seen like, you know, MMA fights where this has happened where like, you know, instead of going for that, you know, that finesse armor yeah. or that finesse submission, people will just get like, uh, like even just an overhook on the arm yeah, and, bang. and then running away from their opponent as much yeah. as possible and almost like ripping on a mirror lock as hard as they yeah. can. Yeah. And like, it's, it's scary stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, they won the match, but at the same time, their opponent's just sitting there with their <laughs> arm, like the arm. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, I don't know how to feel about those types of wins, man, because it's like, I would, I would suggest it's via scenario and via rule set. I don't yeah. think it has anything to do with animosity. I think it has a lot to do with security or insecurity of, yeah. am I going to win this or am I not going to win this? And they're sort of tossing that up between how much they can afford to not win this. Yeah, like, yeah. You've seen, I've seen, because also from the defensive perspective, people take more risks with their limbs in MMA. Yeah. People will let that armbar go on much longer. Again, there's more adrenaline. There's more consequences for them tapping. How much have they sacrificed to be in the cage? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how much build-up has gone into it? They don't want to lose like that. You know, they don't want to lose by submitting or tapping out. They'd rather get their arm broken or mm-hmm. they'd rather go out in the choke. I mean, this happens all the time, way mm-hmm. more in MMA than it does in, in pure jiu-jitsu. People yeah. are more willing to tap, especially in like a, a local competition <laughs> where the stakes are like, oh, if I don't tap to this Kimura, then I can't go to work tomorrow. Bro, but I really, really, really want that shiny yeah, gold piece exactly. of metal. That I paid right. my entry fee <laughs> to get that medal. 120 and if, bucks, man. And if anyone pulls out and I get a bronze, I'm going to post on Instagram about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> did you? If you don't post about it on Instagram, did you really win a medal? Did you no, have to pay? No one can verify. <laughs> no one can verify that you won or not. Bro. You know, we have just gone on potentially a 20-minute tangent. <laughs> about leg locks and competing and submissions and shit. This is what happens when you get two jujitsu people in the same room and they start talking about it. We, uh, this is the first podcast I've done from inside the MATLAB. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it feels cool. I like it. You've been coming out and doing some classes here recently. It's been really cool to have you out. Uh, so I was privy to a little bit of the behind the scenes and the build-up before the M16 Open, and I saw mm. the match on the day, and to this day, I still haven't had the opportunity to sit down and ask you your thoughts on the match itself. That's where we were going. <laughs> That's where we were going, like, tw- like a half an hour ago, right? Oh, snap. <laughs> and now, now I need to redirect us back to this moment. So, the, you know that whole reason you're here? Oh, yeah, yeah, Tell yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, two nodes in a room, see what happens. Um... <laughs> Yeah, the M16 match. Um, so Ma- Michael and I have fought um, a couple of times in the past. And like you said, he's he's such an incredibly talented opponent. And funnily enough, there's like maybe two people in all of Adelaide that like go after my neck <laughs> as, as much as Michael does. One's Will Wesley, who's like someone who I've also fought before. Um... And the other one, yeah, obviously, obviously being Michael. And it's <coughs> such a... <laughs> 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 that's all right. I'll, uh, I'll cop that one. That's fine. That's no, okay. You just make me eat the dirt. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, with, with, that, with that being said, though, like, it, it's, 
it's such a really, really hard game to, to fight because, you know, when someone's going after your head, it doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing with the rest of your body. You just need to sort of like shell up, get his weight off of you and find the really, really, really tiny hole and just go for it. <laughs> I spent most of my you know 20s, what? bro. <laughs> Shit. You know when you say stuff and it comes out of your mouth and you're like, yeah, nah, that's a, that's gonna end up as a, that's what she said. Anyway, um. that's gonna be in the like the bio to this episode. I'm gonna be like, Daniel's shooting for tiny holes. Absolutely. I'm so alive. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, again, like, 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 yeah, like Michael's Michael's track setups are like fantastic, and um, he's always an awesome opponent because. His matches are always like back and forth. There's always like a fence traded with a fence, which then leads to another offensive chain, and it's just so much fun. Like, he's definitely like the favorite type of match that I like to have yeah, as he's well. He's got like a strong willingness to transition. He is quite athletic as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Willingness to wrestle, willingness to sell a bit of energy to get on top in positions and attack a submissions at the it's same time. It's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Not only to fight with, but to watch Yeah, as I'd well. like to see him uh, get a few more matches on M16 as well. Oh, like, please. Uh, if we were to play matchmaker, who do you reckon we could put him against that would be a really exciting match? Ooh. Maybe Ethan? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm not sure if he's beaten Ethan before. Whether they've had a match, but I would actually be really, really interested. I know these guys are two weight classes apart, but I'd be really, <laughs> really interested to see again, like the two Choky Boys, the Choky Boys. Yeah, uh, Will Wesley and Michael ah, Prichnitsky just have an awesome match and have a go at it. But I know that um, you know Will Wesley has now. Thickened up a little and is thickened. chilling. Yeah, he's thickened. <laughs> he got a couple of C's next to that, <laughs> and uh, he's 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 bumped up a weight class. And um, a, I'm sad because I don't get to fight him anymore. And b, <laughs> um, that pressure sucks way more now. So I'm just. <laughs> what, so when it comes to the M16 Open, what weight class essentially are you winning? Because they have champions of all the weight divisions now. Mm, yeah, 66, 77. Uh, 88 no one's getting that belt no 99 and under 99 and over I'll challenge Declan for the 88 belt no worries let's do it that would be such a cool match though (gasps) Uh, spoiler alert I'll lose but I'll try yeah but like with style Nick I didn't didn't mean that (laughs) but damn it Uh, there's no way um, I might if, if I did that I'd call them up and be like hey do you think like some sort of warm up or something I could, uh, I could have a matchup with you that for a warm up. I I don't he know. He would take my back immediately and choke <laughs> me. Okay? Don't like I've, don't I've, like get it twisted. I've been in that bad take, man. It sucks. It sucks so bad. The, the first time he came out to a comp class and we're doing like winner stays in shit. And I'm just like, oh yeah, I haven't rolled with uh, with Declan for a little while. I'm pretty sure he took my back standing and choked me three times. Good God. And I was like, oh, and then. You know, no one's beating him. So he's just staying in for all the winner stays in rounds. And I'm just trying to break... I, I have to, like, do work with other people in, the, in that yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. Where I have to go do a drill with this person, a drill with this person. I'm just thinking constantly about how demoralized I am. 
Like, oh, start in the best position you could possibly start in on Declan. Go, oh, he submitted me. Oh, okay. uh, well, how did that happen again? Uh, I think he, he came back and ran some seminars and like was really nice to me. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah. and we were rolling, and he was letting me do things and stuff like that, so we could explore the positions a little bit more. And it wasn't just mind-numbingly boring for him, so he didn't have to just do the same thing over and over again. But yeah, he'd soundly defeat me, man. I'm not. Oh, I'd be so like. I don't know, like, I've, I've got so much respect for both yours and his jiu-jitsu. Yeah, like, it's... but he wins. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, that's cool, I appreciate that. But Declan... Like, I, I, I don't know, like, I, I guess, like... I want to find someone washed up and old like me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, give, give me someone really shit. You know, and that's that's what that's the kind of matchup I'm looking for. I'm not Man. looking for a challenge. Oh, I mean, hey, I want to look good. Want, if you want someone to eat those mats just like really hard, I'm sure we'll just find someone just go at it and. It'll, oh, it'll I don't know, time. man. I'll put my hand up there. I need I need two weeks of consistency. The shit yeah. shit just keeps happening. You know what I mean, but actually, since I've been here at the Mat Lab, I've been way more consistent than I've been able to over mm. the years. I've had way. I don't think I've had. You know, touch wood, I have not had any actual joint injuries since I've been here. I've had Gordon Ryan sook belly. <laughs> and I got this cut. I got this cut. I got cut on my eyebrow. First time I've ever been cut like that uh, in a wrestling class. But it's Ooh. been it's just been stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm sure, you know, I'll, I'll stop crying and being fat. <laughs> but, you know, forever it was always like I didn't want to detract from the process of coaching by aiming too single-mindedly on competing because yeah, i've competed yeah. a lot a lot in in my lifetime and i understand the type of focus that i need that i will inevitably have to achieve in order to compete well yeah but these days you know the, the last time i competed i was composed it was i'm much more mindful now when I'm doing things, I think it'd just be a matter of consistency in competing because there's consistency mm. in training. We learn how to roll when we're training. We act a certain way, you move a certain way. We're quite free and open and willing to try different things, but competing is very different. That's why I love mm. our comp class because it puts you in that mentality all the time about having to multitask points, having to pull the trigger on techniques and, and strategies that mm. you no, don't necessarily want yeah. to do in that moment but that you have to do based on the scenario that is presented to you and those things that you have to do will lead you back to the things that you want to do and those those movements that are going to get you some success but yeah 100% I'm not I'm certainly not against competing myself now maybe I will challenge Declan for the belt you know just cut the line and lose <laughs> it'll be fun it'll be fun for him yeah. see that's that's the thing right he's I guess you know, the, the ultimate backpack these days. <laughs> and, and I mean that, and I mean that like in the most like nicest and respectful way. Yeah. No one's getting just... him off back. No one, no, no. one, no it... one. I have not seen it yet. There's not one person whose back he's taken it that, just doesn't that he hasn't finished. It just doesn't happen. Like uh, he's, he's on the back and that's okay. Well, no tap. <laughs> yeah. That's what's happening, man. I, I have not seen it. I haven't seen anyone escape his back control. Mm-hmm. In a competition. I guess, like, I'd be, I'm actually really, really keen to see what's going to happen when Declan has the opportunity to go to ADCC mm. and, like, show his P 
pure backpack ability to the rest <laughs> of the world. Because, like, let's let's be honest, he's at the stage where, like, you know, the world's waiting. Mm. Like, choke him. <laughs> well, I feel like... Did you end up watching Who's Next? You didn't get to watch no, it? I haven't had a chance oh, yet. Man, a come chance on, yet, man. Dude. Ah. Well, I've, I've the, seen highlights. Yeah, the first episode is... Uh, you know, it's like the ultimate fighter, right? So there's 16 guys, they all rock up. Yeah. This is on Flow Grappling for people who are listening to this and don't know. If you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about, I feel like you don't exist. Yeah. But Do jiu-jitsu. Yeah, <laughs> do some form of grappling and you'll figure it out. But who's next? It's on Flow. Uh, it's the ultimate fighter of grappling as run by the Who's Number One crew, so that's why it's called Who's Next. Yeah. 16 guys rocked up to the house and they're all like very good jiu-jitsu yeah. practitioners you know world champions at brown belt level some really high level black belt guys in there as well 16 of them rocked up and they made them all fight on one day yeah and so the only eight were going to go into the house and there'd be four on each team that's hectic so there were some epic matches because the rule set is submission only as long as it takes they're not in a, an all-day competition tournament format. They're doing one fight at a time. That's so they insane. can afford to have no time limit. And they chopped it up a bit. Like, they yeah. edited the matches up a little bit. I didn't agree with some of the editing. Yeah. Who the fuck am I? Like, what yeah. do I know? But it was incredibly engaging because something that is happening that's never had the opportunity to have before is some insight into the backstory of the athletes who are competing. Yeah. So they had all of those matches, the guys won who won, the guys lost who lost, they had interviews they talked to them about, right? But the first actual episode involved Isaac Michelle yeah. from, from South Australia. Yeah. So because he's having his match against who he had his match against, they're doing like a little profile piece on him. Yeah. They're, they're talking about his history. It's him sitting down talking about his history of being in Adelaide and playing footy and shit like that. This is an internationally broadcast thing. And when I'm watching it, I'm like, this is potentially the best thing that's happened for grappling outside of a, a competition yeah, in a very, very long time. These guys are fighting for $10,000. Yeah. That's it. The, the winner of the show gets $10,000. Uh, when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, cool. Try $100,000. Yeah, yeah. Try that. And, get, and, and make them all black belt world champions on the show or whatever. But as I'm watching, I'm watching Isaac on the show and I'm like, man... Declan would just slot in on this show oh, so well. I know that at ADCC trials, the Asia Pacific trials, that Isaac's coming back. Mm. He's going to be in the 88 kilo division. I know Declan's going to be in the 88 kilo division. I have no idea how excited I am. It's for exciting. That it's also slightly heartbreaking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> can go, but you know, Declan's had a great run up to this. He doesn't have the resources that Isaac has, but he yeah. has. The M16 Open. Yeah. And he's had every... He's been the main event on all of them. You know what I mean? And he's they've flown in the, the best guys from around the country mm. in his division, including Will Diaz. Yeah. You that know was I mean? hectic. And he, and he fought Devin. You know, Devin just got his brown belt. He just beat Bob Frias. You know what I mean? And it's like, these are the guys that are going to be in that division anyway at ADCC Trials. And he's having super fights with them beating them decisively through mm. skill mm. and he's getting practice mm. whilst he's doing that. He's practicing the rule set. He's practicing the pressure. You know, that is really something that is in his favor when it comes to moving into the ADCC trials and, mm. and beyond. 
is that he's had exposure to the rule set under pressure and been victorious. Yeah. And made changes, made changes and adapted his style. And he, he could compete in any rule set and be victorious, but the fact that he's had to, got the chance to practice this yeah, one yeah. is great. Yeah, it's 100%. Really cool. 100%. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a question I was going to ask you. Yeah. That I, pertaining to your weight class. Yeah. We went on the tangent again. <laughs> that was like 10 minutes ago. Two nodes in a room, guys. Two nodes in a room. <laughs> you would think after all this time I'm getting better at the whole podcast thing, but now I'm just like, oh, but I'm back in my day. This is my... Now I'm going to compete. You watch, Sonny. I'm going to compete. And it's going to be great. <laughs> if I don't break two hips at the same time, you're going to get rubber guards, son. <laughs> Remember the rubber guard? That was something we used to do back in my day. What if the way you get to the rubber guard is by breaking both your hips? <laughs> I think it is, man. I feel like... <laughs> that's how I do it these days. If you, if you have bones, you just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, you've lost. <laughs> like, back when I used to do it when I was younger, I had flexibility. These days, I just have, like, permanently dislocated hips. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, where are we going with this? Weight class. Yes. Weight your class. weight class yeah. and... The actual potential for you to make a run towards a championship. See, this is something I know, you know, by your facial expression that you likely haven't actually considered. If you have prolific wins mm. on the M16 Open in a weight class, you have the ability to work towards fighting for a championship. Yeah. See, that's really interesting because, like, there there are so many incredible grapplers at this weight class, um, which is under 77. You know, we've got the likes of Will Kolodoff, Adam Hartley, Alan Hartley, sorry. Um, and, you Tommy know... Hayes, Tommy Hayes. Tommy Hayes, yeah. Luke like, Vidler. Oh, the, the, the Versace Tiger himself. Like, it's such an awesomely stacked weight category at Lachlan Conway oh, no less yeah. like um, that guy yeah we both get we, we both get to sit there and belly down ankle lock each other like how good whoever's shin snap first loses <laughs> um, spoiler alert it's gonna be mine but um, but it, it it it's such like yes I get to look forward and there's always going to be something in front of me. And that's like what I love about it though. And that's what I love about jujitsu in general. There's, you're never done. You're never done. No matter what weight class you're in, there always, there is always someone in front of you yeah. that, um, that is not only better, more talented or more technical than you, or they've been doing it for longer, but there's always ways to improve yourself or just something to aim for. Yeah. And but you'll gain access to that next echelon by scaling up, by winning. Yeah, 100%. So if I was to matchmake for you on your next match, right, because you had prolific wins, who's next? Mm. 77 kilos. Uh, who, who are the other undefeated guys in the 77 kilo division who have been having prolific wins on the Open? At Blue Belt? Forget belts. Okay, okay. <laughs> Forget belts. There's no belts there. I I don't know. I guess like I can tell you who I want to fight. Yeah. And like one one day, like obviously this is not a match that is gonna happen anytime soon, but one day I would love to have a match with Will Kolarov mm. just because I wanna I wanna see that like that firework exchange and I wanna be a part of that because yeah. that would be so awesome. Will I get caught? Probably. Will it be cool as hell? Absolutely. Um, because at the end of the day, like if I find someone who just wants to have a really cool leg lock shootout with me, I'm so down for that. Well, the, those are the guys on, on the come up right now. 
Yeah. So last time, uh, so Cooper now gets the shot, right? Yeah. Cooper gets the shot at the 77 kilo title. Yeah. Because he got the victory over Lachlan. Yeah. So Lachlan is in the pool. Yeah. In the pool of the 77 kilo guys. Please don't make me fuck on <laughs> <laughs> But again, who else is in that pool? Will Kolarov. Yeah. To me, I would be I would be putting Will versus Lachlan. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. I, I feel like that's the trajectory that they're on right now. Yeah. Because they're at the upper echelon of the weight division. Yeah. In the, in the weight class. I feel like the other guys that are moving towards that trajectory mm. are yourself, Luke Vidler. Like, mm. I think having Vidler versus Alan Hartley makes so a lot cool. of sense. Two MMA guys. Yep. Just, yeah. Because they're at that upper echelon of the division. Yeah. And I think potentially for you, it might be you versus Tommy Hates. I think that, but, but consider the division and consider the championship structure, yeah. those aforementioned matchups, that makes sense. I guess, but I love Tommy, man. Yeah, <laughs> everyone does. Everyone does. This is it. The, this ginger, is, the ginger beard is so wonderful. <laughs> this is why I was really excited when, when I saw the post that stated all the stacked mm. champions now. Because if there's a champion in every division... There's a lot of context and relevance to every match that happens on the show that happens in those divisions. Mm. There's guys coming up, guys coming down, and potential matchups that are based on rankings. There's no official rankings mm. right now, but you could sort of, based on you know, what we just talked about, you could sort of seed these people and make interesting and relevant matchups that have a direct consequence mm. when it comes to who's going to fight for that that championship. Mm. That's it. Championships are validated by the times they are defended. Yeah. yeah. And who they are being defended against. If someone works their way up legitimately to a title and the champion is dominant and defeats them, mm. it adds validity and strength to that championship. Oh, 100%. And that's why Declan is an incredibly strong champion because he sends back all comers. And that being said, Anthony Pugliates... Whoa. sending back all comers and everyone who's making legitimate attempts at his championship belt. Man, that's... Uh, he's making... It's 66, right? He's, yeah, yeah. He's making that belt. Have you seen that man? That man does not look 66. He is jacked. His his squeeze isn't 66. Ugh. His squeeze is like 99 kilo plus. Jesus. But that's what I mean. That The M16 Open has, has done such a uh, service to our community in terms of the excitement and the buzz around it because they give validity and legitimacy to every single person who competes on their shows, in- including yourself. And that's why I get hyped on it. You know what I mean? I, I love this whole idea. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but you know what it is for me? I, I started MATLAB now. I've, I've moved away from Trinity and I'm gra- we're grappling full time. Yeah. You've come in to the academy and, and seen uh, my processes yeah the the structure that i've put around the schedule my goals for the students my goals for technical progression and the mm. way i'm putting things together the the reason the m16 speaks to me personally is because i come from that background of yeah. looking to progress things looking to evolve analyzing things about why they're heading in certain directions making predictions turn into estimates mm. and that's I really feel like there's a lot of moving things, like a lot of things are moving forward right now and, and enacting together to create a, a real groundswell 
of progression in South Australia specifically. Yeah. Which is really cool to think about because the Eastern states have always been the hub yeah, for yeah. progression of jiu-jitsu. Yeah, when Mel- Lo- Melbourne. Yeah, well, Melbourne, yeah. yeah. I mean, but why? So Lachlan Giles and Kit Dale yeah. started, in, I think it was Infinity at the time. Yeah. Uh, well, they started coaching at Infinity, which became absolute St. Kilda. Mm. And that became the hub for progression because the most progressive and high-level minds and bodies mm. were in the same place at the same time. And it became well known. This is happening in South Australia, mm. right? But it's happening slightly differently. Mm. Everyone is so willing to acknowledge and respect each other's skills that they are willing to train with them and learn from them and raise the entire training pool 100%. at the same time. So it's happening. It's happening in a different way. We're not sort of centralizing we're kind of expanding. It's rate of expansion mm. that is creating the evolution process at the moment. Well, not only that, I feel like the grappling as a whole in Adelaide has just really started to step itself up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's always, it's always interesting because being in like, you know, this sort of closed off system, um, you know, any sort of entropy that sort of goes on, mm. we don't see that. We don't yeah. really see that at all. When but, you're on ground floor, you don't. Exactly, exactly. But when... I went to, you know, nationals and I got to see, you know, some of our guys, you know, compete on that like national, national level and just do so incredibly well. Um, look at Noah Schultz, for example. Yeah, yeah. Girl's an absolute weapon having gone to ADCC trials, won some of her matches by absolute pure domination. And, and we're talking about a fresh purple belt. Yeah. Not just not only that, but someone who got that purple belt in three years. Mm. Talent pouring out of her ears, just an absolute weapon of a grappler. But like, fun, funnily enough, like um, when she started jujitsu, like a whole bunch of you know the guys at you know at Balboa, we were all kind of like, okay, well, cool. Let's start this whole competitive thing. Ah, oh, okay. That's and when that started. Yeah. So, like, it was uh, funnily, funnily enough, it was when it was when Isaac was training with us for a little bit, yeah. and um, he he actually snapped my ankle. Oh my god! And, <laughs> and Jesus, man. I kind of I came back. Um, I came back from that injury and I saw how much like progress Nora had made in such a short period of time. And she was now an incredibly competitive grappler. And I was like, Oh snap. If I dedicate this much time to grappling and this much time to jujitsu, this is what I can do with it. And, um, so yeah, the crucible of fire, if you will, but like it definitely, um, you know, pushed, a lot of us towards that whole yeah. like competitive scene in such a yeah. cool way. I think Terry's always had the propensity to turn out really competitive grapplers. Yeah. But it certainly looked like, that's actually quite illuminating for me because it certainly looked like around that time period, there was a push towards competition from Terry's gym. Yeah. It, it always has been there in terms of the Aruda connection as well. Mm. There seemed to be, an established initiative like, all right, we're going to really come to compete now. Yeah. And you were part of that as well as, as Nora was part of that wave of competitors from Terry who just really made some big, 
big differences in their strategy and big differences in their processes. And I started to see you guys more out at competitions, you know, like everyone would always see me on the sidelines yelling and then it was you. (laughs) I'll make a suggestion. (laughs) I'll make a suggestion based on observation. (laughs) Athletes respond well to composed advice. From the sidelines, Daniel. That's all I'm going to tell you. Working on it, I promise. <laughs> I promise. I'm working on it. I have this. I have this really shitty habit of accidentally being the loudest person in the room. <laughs> accidentally. Accidentally, and like by by either just like me being loud as hell or me being just like getting a little bit too hyped for um, <laughs> for what's happening. For what's happening on the mat, it's it's. Uh, you, Composures is a skill. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I remember our good friend uh, Toby Yo was having a match with someone from our gym. Someone from the, I was coaching, and uh, I just remember hearing you say, "He's gonna wrestle you. He's he's gonna wrestle." <laughs> I'm like, you know what, Daniel? You're right. He is. Gonna <laughs> he is gonna wrestle you, Toby. I promise you that. Toby would have taken it all in stride. Anyway. Um, Watch out for that takedown. Watch out. Hey, he's coming. It's the wrestle. Nah, it's good. No, no. <laughs> but well, yeah, we. I always say that in comp class as well. You know, yeah. I, something we talk about in competition classes. If you are choosing to aid someone from the sidelines, politely, but even if it's just <laughs> precisely, yeah, know, the, the more composed you are as an individual, the better chance you have of actually seeing the bigger picture mm. and giving more poignant advice in that moment in time. It's, it's so tempting to, I was the same man. You, it, this didn't just happen. I've been a white belt and blue belt too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was a blue belt. You went, on the what, side a black belt? what? Going hoarse, losing my voice, yelling at, you know, my, yeah, yeah. my uh, training partners and stuff like that. It took time to sort of refine it back down to something. Cause I want to help. It yeah. comes from a place of wanting to help them. It's, but then it's, I just whole, it's to, all wholesome, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but then you sort of refine it back to, well, what will actually help them? Yeah, will, will, yeah. will this, you know, will this uh, piece of advice lead to something good or bad? You know, yeah. Who knows? But yeah. I, think, I think it just speaks to your enthusiasm and your, your willingness to share. That's something that I've seen from you when you've been in the academy is you're, you're not really just there for yourself. You go and train at a bunch of different places and you will mm. soak up a lot of knowledge even just from perspective when you go and train at different places but you're always willing to break things down to people on the sidelines and break things down to your, your training partners and yeah, 100%. sharing is a massive part of it and when I talk about you know people asking me about oh how do you grade people because Jiu-Jitsu grading system is so loose, which I love about it because you can incorporate aspects of communal growth. How much yeah. are they willing to put into other people as well as themselves? What is their technical aptitude like? Mm-hmm. You know what their goals are in Jiu-Jitsu. Also factor in if they want to be a world champion, then you have to grade them on that scale. And yeah. these are people who are like, oh, I can't believe it took so long for Nora to get her purple belt. Like, <laughs> she's graded on a scale, man. She's yeah. graded on the scale of world elite. Yeah. So she wanted to compete at worlds, right? So why would you give her a purple belt a year ago where she wouldn't be competitive on a world scale? Yeah. Right? She needed to be equivalent to like a three-stripe purple before she got her purple belt so that she could 
Imagine going from a competition setting where you're at blue belt and you smash 100% of all of these competitions mm. and then you go to purple belt and you can barely get through two matches. Yeah. Like, you want to go from the top to the top to the top. And the way The way that you do that is you get graded on a scale. Yeah. Uh, but that takes communication in order to do that. Mm. If the coach is communicating to the athlete, hey, this is what's happening, it often comes from the athlete presenting to the coach and saying, hey, I want to compete. Yeah. If, you're, if you're not going to be an elite competitor, there's different factors that will lead to your grading system. And mm. the thing that will kill it for everyone is comparison. Yeah. Co- comparison is easily the number one factor of people quitting, not just getting their blue belt. That makes people quit. But yeah. <laughs> comparing. comparing. No, blue belt blues aren't real, man. What do you mean? <laughs> well, think about how I know why people quit at their blue belt. It's the hardest time in jiu-jitsu. It is. Because you've just, you've just gone through this massive metamorphosis yeah. of not knowing anything about... You may have not even known what jiu-jitsu is. Yeah. And you've had to learn this entire catalog of nomenclature and positional aspects and uh, how to transition, how to submit, how to be subtle, how to take your strength out of movements... So many things, so much point of required learning that you've now assimilated into your brain or so you, or so you think. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're rewarded for that effort and you're given a blue belt. Yeah. And the door opens to the next level and you realize how little you actually understand. Well, not only that, but like, not only are you getting like kicked in the teeth by... <laughs> Um, either quite literally or by, <laughs> um, you know, the upper blue belts, people that are, you know, supposedly at the same level as you, but you've got those four striped white belts as well that are still on your heels. So you're caught in this really awkward in between, yeah. you get this imposter syndrome yeah. and like blue and, belt yeah. blues, it's, I it like can, to say it's not it real, does. but it, it, it is real, but it conspires on you. So all of those factors combined, that was one of the hardest things you did. That first mm. three to four to five years or however long it took you to get your blue belt. That was mm. super difficult. And then you get the reward. So mm. you have achieved. Yeah. You've put in the work and you've made an achievement. You've essentially achieved what you set out to do. Yeah. So that is a great stopping point for a lot of people. Mm. It was really, really hard. They've learned something. They've been told that they've learned something. That they've done a good job. That's enough for me. The incentive to travel through blue to purple is less than it was to travel from white to blue. That's so interesting, though, because, like, for me, I, I, find, I always find it really, really interesting when people, um, you know, tell me that they're doing jiu-jitsu because they want to get to their next belt mm. or they've got something in front of them that they want to chase. I learned, like, really, really early that your, your belt um, ties your gear together. <laughs> And that's kind of it, um, because the like the my reasoning for doing jujitsu is because super early on I completely fell in love with the sport, and it's done so so much for me over the years. It's gotten me through um, like breakups, grief, really horrible times in my life, but I've always had the mats to go back to, and. Like, this is it's kind of one of those things now where I'm like, okay, well, I can't really see my life without jujitsu. Yeah. And, you know, is it an obsession? Absolutely. Is it dangerous? Eh, who knows? But <laughs> will it lead you to being a frail arthritic? 
Yes, I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I'm 100% on board with that sentiment as well because yeah. today is actually my six-year black belt anniversary. I didn't know. Oh, God, really? Yeah. To, today, recording this right wow. now. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome, man. <laughs> but I, you know, it dawns on me. I've been a, a black belt. Yeah, six years. That longer than some people have been doing jujitsu. So <laughs> I'm raising my hands for all of those I can't see. Um, <laughs> I think my perspective on what belts are or what they mean have that has shifted drastically over that time period. Mm. Uh, and within that, I've had a lot of conversations about it in the past. Uh, mm. Jiu-jitsu, the, the power of jujitsu is not the power of the belt. It's the power of the technical progression. Yeah. Your goal should always be to increase your technique and knowledge. Mm. That has to be your overriding goal because other intermediary goals will be, can be taken away from you. Yeah. You might not be in the location or in the physical position to be graded. Yeah. Right? To a new belt by someone. Yeah. Uh, you may not... I mean, COVID hit and every, every competition got taken away from everyone. Yeah. And, the, you know, the ability to train with routine and structure got taken away from everyone. So if you were only grading your progression on how well you did in competition, how, where does that go now? Yeah. It just goes out the door. Like... So what incentive do you have to continue? You're, if you're a solely competitive person, you have none. If you're hunting that other belt, you have none. Yeah. If your overriding goal was to always just increase your knowledge, you still have an entire world of progression at your feet. Mm. And eventually, that's all you'll have. Yeah. Because you're going to be like me, who's been a black belt for six years. Mm. And there's no, I'm not going to be a red belt, man. I'm not going to be a corral belt. Mm. This, that's not happening, man. There's no other belt now. Mm. So. I haven't also competed for quite some time. Mm. So how am I grading my progression? You know, I am constantly studying, constantly upgrading, constantly pouring my energy and effort and sight into the evolution of the art of grappling. Mm. I'm looking at the trajectory of where it's going, why it's taking that trajectory, both on an elite level and on a regional level, mm. and what I can do to aid that process. Therefore, my goal at the beginning and at the end of the line mm. is exactly the same. It's technical progression yeah. and expanding my knowledge in the art of jiu-jitsu. The purpose for what I'm trying to do that for has changed. Yeah. But it's still the same. Yeah. And so that's the advice that I give people. That's so, that's so, so interesting. I've always wanted to, I guess, like sit down with like, um, you know, a black belt such as yourself that's been at this for such a long time and kind of go like, so once you hit black belt, you know, what's, you know, kind of, and I'm going to put this in quotes, but like the, it's kind of like deemed as the end of the line or the end of your journey. I guess like the whole mentality behind that, you know, you get your black belt, there's, you know every technique, sort of, um, <laughs> but like, or, or like you, you haven't seen any of the new techniques that come out or whatever have you, but I guess like instead of focusing on your own progression, but focusing on the progression of jujitsu itself, that's like really profound because I guess when you have that black belt tied around your waist, it, you are, I guess, sort of, you know, that 
what's the word I'm looking for here? Not poster boy. <laughs> you're an ambassador. Yeah, that. Thank you. Thank you're you. an ambassador for the art. I know exactly what you're talking about. I felt it when I was awarded the black belt. The weight of responsibility hit me pretty heavily, and I think if okay. you talk to anyone who has received it, that will tell you the same thing. Um, I spent a serious amount of time in my life earning the award of the black belt. Mm. You know? And now I have every single day for the rest of my life earning the right to wear that black belt. That's that's what I, that's how I feel about it in general. But it's also, you know, who are you receiving that belt from? Yeah. This is someone who's invested a lot of time in you and someone that you look up to and respect as well. And you're being awarded this rank. It, it kind of feels like... Yeah, this person that you look up to, this person that you respect, is now placing the same amount of trust and respect in you, in in return. Mm. And you get to forge ahead jujitsu or grappling in the image that you see fit. They're giving you that chance, that responsibility, but that chance mm. and that opportunity. So everyone who is rewarded the black belt is like, no one feels like they deserve it. Mm. Very few feel like they deserve it, but every single one of them take the responsibility seriously to earn the right to feel like they should wear the black belt. Mm -hmm. And there's some key things that can aid you in doing that. If you internally checklist and say, what am I doing that is actively contributing to jujitsu? And you can start formulating, you know, dot points or bullet points about things that you are already doing. That's great. And then you ask yourself the same thing. What am I not doing? Yeah. What can I do that is going to progress jujitsu in my immediate sphere, in my, in my immediate control? Mm. What can I do differently with my daily life that will actually contribute to jujitsu? And look, man, MATLAB Grappling Academy mm. is, <laughs> it is the biggest thing that I've ever done for myself yeah that has checked off a lot of boxes on that checklist and uh i really feel like it's aiding the community i really do i i don't think i'm going to be like the best dude at this that and the other but what i am trying to do is provide something that is good that is oh, really exactly. good that will aid the people around me and be beneficial to the entire community. That's what I'm trying to do. Well, 100%. Well, we had this discussion recently how, um, you know, you were sort of saying that, you know, you want, you know, the MATLAB to be, you know, a resource yeah. for, um, you know, people that are looking to progress their jiu-jitsu, um, you know, get better at the sport. And not only that, but, you know, contribute to jiu-jitsu yeah. as well. And it's such an awesome environment because you know not only is everyone so friendly and um it, it really just caters for everybody you know whether you're looking to you know you're looking to compete and you're looking to get that shiny go every time you step onto those mats with a ref or if you're you know looking to you know maybe just give it a crack yeah maybe um you know you want to give someone a sweaty hug every once in a while <laughs> and um that's how you get your serotonin for the week no judgment it's what i do but um, but at the at the end of the day like it's such an awesome awesome platform and i i'm personally i'm looking forward to seeing where the matlab goes because 
I see so much potential in the platform. Yeah, I feel like it does have a lot of potential. Just even the, the base structure of, uh, yeah. of the schedule and what we're trying to achieve with it all. But enough about that because I'm just talking about myself. All day. <laughs> we're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about you. You mentioned uh, where uh, I think we're at another 20 minute tangent. Fantastic. <laughs> but you mentioned that wave of competitors that came from Terry's. Yeah. There must. There's obviously a time prior to that. You did what many of us have done, which is fallen in love with jujitsu. Yeah. Please talk to me a little bit about how you got into jujitsu, and how it's been going for you. Oof. Okay. So uh, remember how I said like jujitsu is bouncing from one injury to another? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, we start with an injury. That's a, good, <laughs> oh. that's a good way to do it. Um, funnily enough, the, the first injury that got me into jujitsu wasn't my own. Um, so for years, uh, Terry and I were actually, um, you know, work colleagues, um, in the fact that, you know, we both, um, were doing PT, uh, in the PT gym that was above Team Balboa. Um, and, you know, it was trying to convince me to come down and try this, you know, whole jujitsu thing. Initially, I was kind of in my whole uh, kung fu bro mindset, <laughs> where <laughs> where Bruce Lee's a god and MMA is just a thing. <laughs> um, phew, I'm so glad I'm out of that. But um, what kind of did it for me was um, I was I had this sort of period of. Uh, like this sort of bro gym bro period, right? right? And I and I really needed to get some uh, you know cardio in to get them shreds. So um, you know stereos, absolutely, absolutely shred for stereos, bro. Um, and uh, Terry had just finished competing at Pan, at Panpax um, at Brown Belt, and um, unfortunately he um, got placed in a stainer lock that was ripped on incredibly fast, and that pretty much shredded Terry's ankle apart. So he's come limping into work and you kind of have this, oh God, what happened? Um, Your ankle looks like it's got three ankles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty much the case. Like it was, it was, it was, it was bad. It was bad, man. That was a bad injury. And um, he was like, oh yeah, it was, it was a jujitsu competition. So, so, you know, um, I might be able to, you know, teach her off for a little bit. So, um, uh, Coops is taking Nogi, Adam, Adam Cooper, and uh, I was, he was like, oh, you know, you should try it, try it one night, and uh, funnily enough, I had a PT client of mine cancel on a Wednesday night, and I'll never forget this, because Wednesday night Nogi with Coops, wonderful, wonderful class, um, I went down there to suss what it's all about, and I see, um, you know, this, like, 100 kilo, like, middle-aged man, like, doing his, like, you know, speedy wrestling thing. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, Co Coops, despite the fact that he, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have knees anymore, <laughs> is still one of the fastest wrestlers I've ever seen. Just Dude, crazy, crazy fast. He is incredibly athletic. And I will, yeah. and I will say right now, yeah. he is one of the greatest professional wrestlers that Ooh, has yeah. ever come out of the state of South Australia. Jason! Cooper. That's right, Adam Jason Cooper is the first time I ever interacted with him. I remember seeing the whole Wrestle Rampage uh, crew and what it was zero one at the time as well. 
They actually did some shows at the show. Yeah. At the Royal Adelaide show, they had like a week of shows. I went back three days in a row to watch them. That's so sick. And then I started going out to Cosgrove Hall and watching their whole troupe, like Jag, Hartley Jackson, yeah, yeah, the yeah, Graham yeah. Brothers, and uh, you know, Jason Cooper. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and Damien Slater and AJ History and all these guys. So, Cooper, yeah, <laughs> he is a fucking madman, dude. <laughs> He is a madman, but he's he's one of those eclectic pro wrestlers. Like he has that mat efficiency. He's fundamentally sound and technically sound. Oh yeah. But he's also the dude who's going off the the ladder through the tables onto the hard <laughs> floor. Like he's he's and he was at the time. I think he was the champion. I think he was. And he he was the major attraction, and he was one of the reasons why I went there. And Robbie Hart as well was one yeah. of the major attractions at the time. I remember God, when so I handy. first fought at the Adelaide Pavilion, the Wave or Adelaide Pavilion, yeah. one of my first fights. Actually, it was my second fight. They all came. So Jag and Coops and Robbie Hart and Damien Slater, they were all in the crowd. And after I won, like I went up to them. I'm like, I'm so, so glad you guys came. <laughs> I'm so glad I got the opportunity to entertain you guys for once. And they're like, yeah, that was cool, man. I'm like, it was probably shit show, you know, but I was like super bored or whatever. But I remember that man. And to know that he ended up transitioning to jujitsu full time, yeah. becoming a black belt and like being an influence on you as well. Oh, is he brown? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Oh, uh, we, you, you roll with Coops, you treat him like a black belt yeah, because... That's it, what I'm saying, it, man. It, it, I don't know. It, it, like, it, it, we'll, we'll see. There's a round of gradings coming up soon. <laughs> tell, them, tell them to come into the round lab and see what happens. Oh, But man. yeah, I mean, that's, that's super cool that like your first class was with Cooper. Yeah, yeah. And like, it, it was really, really cool because like I, I went down... I, I was super apprehensive, right? And uh, I was also the spazziest fucking white belt ever ever like i was i was horrible i don't know man i was bad man i was really (laughs) bad i was like i was a gym bro i had an ego oh just a fucking idiot and (laughs) i look i look back at myself and i cringe so fucking hard right but at the same time though um there was something so addictive about having your ego checked yeah and i was like okay this is this is really, really, really cool. And um, annoyingly enough, though, my ego phase lasted a little bit longer than it should have. So <laughs> It's still going. It's still saying? going, yeah. <laughs> but you need to go on a Zen cleanse, bro. Absolutely. No, I'm a, I'm a little bit more chill now. A little bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, funnily enough, I, only, I was only able to make it down for once a week. Okay. And um, I completely fell in love with whole idea of grappling and the fact that you know this is uh again a gentle martial art and um you know, i will put that in quotes like is it is it is it you know the bruce lee shit no no it's not is that okay yeah but it's still philosophical in its own way absolutely i think jujitsu is probably the last prevailing philosophical art Agreed. in reality because it still holds on to that romantic ideal of technique overcoming force. And, and much of the lessons that you'll learn hearken to that. Yeah. How many people come in and they just go gung-ho strength and then they end up gassing and 
the person who's been doing it for... But it's the story, right? The white belt, or not even the white belt, just the person goes all out, uses all their strength, and then there's the other practitioner who was patient, mm. used technique, and then at the end the of the role... Age tale. And it, it happens over and over and over again in every academy across the yeah. entire globe. And it's that process that is the... The, the marrying to reality mm. ideal of technique overcoming force, the smaller person defeating the larger opponent. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone loves an underdog story. Yeah, but yeah. that's a cool idea, but what is that functionally? And mm. what is that anatomically and technically? And how do you modify your instincts and your movements and your thought processes to tailor to that result? Oh, and the study of jujitsu is that. So that's what it is. That's what yeah. gets to people. Well, not, well, not, only, not only that, but like, I've, I've, I've done other sports in my time, and this is the nerdiest shit. One hundred percent. Fuck, man. Some of the conversations that we've had in here, ranging from like, you ask me things about Batman for sure, but then other comic books, and then 100%. you hear the other side. Like, I'm talking about Watchmen. I'm talking about Sandman. Oh yeah. Sandman's gonna come out on Netflix soon, and everyone's gonna go, Sandman, Sandman. I'm be like, fuck all of you. <laughs> no one. <laughs> No one wanted to have a conversation with me about Sandman for the last 20 years. And guess what? No, I'm dead set. 20 years. No one has wanted to have a conversation about Sandman to me. And it's going to come out on Netflix. And everyone's going to be jerking their dicks like, oh, yeah. Final Sandman. So fucking good. Oh, yeah. Fucking I'm going to be like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah, but honestly, fuck you, fuck a lot of you, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. I'm glad you're interested now. <laughs> Will you talk to me and me, my friend, because you weren't in high school? <laughs> but yeah, oh, so yeah that's the other thing you just is good for, just dealing with past and personal trauma. <laughs> <laughs> so, Clearly, I've gotten over it. Yeah, <laughs> Clearly, I'm incredibly well adjusted. Yeah, we, <laughs> we were talking about Sandman the other day, and I'm like, yeah, man, I've got like the entire omnibus of the original 1989 Neil Gaiman Sandman. And you're like, what Sandman? I'm like, you better go read it now. Okay, okay, go read it now. Okay. The when, Crow. When, when, when Nick tells you to read a comic, you fucking do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, right? It's like, these are my people. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. you're completely free to be the way that you want to be. Well, it wasn't just that as well, though. Like, not, not only finding, like, a bunch of like-minded people, but, like, um, just the sense of community and camaraderie that the mats gave was something that, like, I'd never experienced before, you know? Um, funnily enough, the thing that, like, got me to start doing jujitsu more regularly um was like this weird sort of like bout of living out of my car for a bit wow and like i did that for like two months and all of a sudden found that like you know i was waking up in the morning going to the gym getting ready for the day going to uni but then i had all this free time mm. and um like you know if i wasn't at work i was like okay well what can I do now? And I found like, you know what? Going to jujitsu probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Mm. And it kind of just made me fall in love with the mats even more because I had this amazing support network that, um, you know, they, they didn't like direct me, directly support me um, and be like, yeah, yeah, no, you know, have a handout. No, that's not what happened at all. It was quite literally just um, the mats became like this really awesome safe space for um like me to sort of go to um you know even when like you know the world was in the absolute shitter 
And that's part of my motivation why, like, you know, I do what I try and do on the mats. Like, if I want jujitsu to do for other people what jujitsu did for me, mm. um, and, like, the entire jujitsu journey of, like, you know, getting my ankle snapped by Isaac. Um, <laughs> it's still funny every time I say it, i got to admit. It sounds funny. <laughs> it is funny. He was less ruthless when he had golden locks as well. So, <laughs> I don't know what you did to piss him off. Like, did you try to footlock him? Or? I Yeah, I, no, I remember yeah. it now. Because I think he went to, for a heel hook on me. And he, funnily enough, did what I do now, which, like, uses using the heel hook... And getting them to like battle in a toe out of it. And he went for a belly down foot lock of some description. And like it just came on really fast and the ankle didn't like it. Shit happens. And like I, I, I was I was a white belt at the time. And it was just this whole like, oh no, I'm, I've finally been injured in this sport. Shit, guess I better start taking it seriously. <laughs> oh, okay, that's interesting. But um, but not only that, but like like I said before, like seeing Nora's progression, seeing everyone else's progression, I felt like I had to play this game of catch up. I'm still playing the game of catch up, <laughs> and um, yeah, from there on out, um, I came back from that injury. I had, um, I had one of my best friends die, uh, like rather tragically, and um, again, like the mats was just that yeah. safe space for me, so I was just trying to train as often as I could just to, you know, be like, okay, well, let's offset the depression with the serotonin, you know? Uh, and then um, from there, I was, you know, I guess we start getting into, you know, one or two years ago where, um, you know, I was starting to, you know, I was winning comps at white belt. I got my blue belt and um, I started to compete again. I got my ass absolutely handed to me by Connor Damon, who I still want to rematch with, by the way. Uh, he needs to get in the mix, man. I, he's the blue belt champ at M16. He what is. is. He, oh, wait, he's doing like secret service shit. Right? Oh, he's, he's doing Navy stuff. Yeah. He's doing Navy he's stuff. A seal. He's a SEAL. He's a SEAL. <laughs> Guarantee it. Guarantee it. He's, um... He's protecting our nation's interests. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He's James Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at, at the same time, though, like, he, um... He is someone, like, I respect rather deeply. And, I, again, I got, like, the proverbial shit kicked out of me by him, but it only motivated me to um, just want to do jiu-jitsu even more. And I kind of had that precipice moment of, do I let the blue belt blues hit me, mm. or do I power through this and just keep rocking up? Mm. Um, and then I got bit by a white tip. <laughs> I had... Uh, this really, really nasty staph infection. Yeah, you showed me the that. scar. Yeah, on your calf. It was a, um, it was a nice little, uh, nice little bullet hole that they had to take out, and that took me away from the mats for about, uh, for about three months. And then I, uh, yeah, I uh, ended up having to bounce back from that one, but I was still rocking up to training, not on the mats, but you know, just watching, offering some, you know, incredibly loud and obnoxious coaching advice. Yeah. <laughs> good yeah and then um from there i was able to sort of go okay so what's like this what can i do next right and the m16 happened Mm. and by the grace of um adam jones i was able (laughs) i was able to have a match with will wesley um which i lost 
And um, that was that is still the hardest jujitsu match I've ever fought ever. And I do it all again. Yeah. And um, from there, it was just you know I had another M16 match afterwards, which which I, which I was fortunately victorious in. And um, and then I had quite possibly the the hardest injury to overcome, and that was my syndesmosis tear. Um, so that one kind of that one came from Makani Basami. Um, oh. You know, my, my favorite takedown. What <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Look, it looks cool as hell. Right. It's the most kung fu looking takedown ever. But, oh God, I'm so, I'm so glad that it was my syndesmosis that went and not my ACL. Yeah. Um, but that's still probably the worst pain I've ever felt. I had a through and through tear of both my posterior and anterior um, syndesmosis ligaments as well as the enterosis membrane. Um, so pretty much my shin, my two shin bones, my tip and fib just went whoop as they ripped apart. Um, and that was, that was really hard. That was really, really hard because, um, for the first time in, well, for the first time ever, my entire life got put on hold. And that initial week of injury was horrible because I had to have the conversation with myself like, shit, is this... Like, is this fucking worth it? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I'm disfiguring my body here. I've now got, like, you know, screws drilled into my leg, um, you know, holding me together um, from what's effectively a hobby. Like, shit, was this worth it? Mm, it's a rough one. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know my history with, with this type of thing, but the, the resolve that I've always had is, like, jiu-jitsu may have done this to me. Yeah. But it's also going to bring me back. A hundred percent. And that was the exact reasoning that I kind of had. And, you know, I had, <laughs> I had my mum telling me, being like, you're never going back on the mats again. <laughs> and I'm like, eh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like knees are a rite of passage in terms of jiu-jitsu injuries. This is going to happen. I avoided yeah. it for a very long time, but then it happened. And I crossed that threshold. I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, you don't need MCL. What do you do though? MCL is yeah, the word you want to do. And then you look around and you're just thinking, yeah, Declan's done his knees. Pretty sure Lachlan Warren doesn't have knees. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone I know has done their knee. Sean D'Ambrosio, I think, had knee issues. Jared Payne's had knee issues. Yeah. Dan Lawson's had knee injuries. Uh, back back in the day, Michael Toyama had knee issues. Yeah. So he'd always talk about it. I'm just thinking, my knees are fine. Yeah. And they'll always be fine. <laughs> But now, <laughs> and I just learned that knee pads don't really do much. It's really like compression knee pads don't really do that much. I mean, like, even though I wear them every day, it's a placebo I mean, effect. They're, they're all right for like cushioning impact. If you're like, <laughs> you know, driving off your driving off your knee every like yeah, two that's seconds probably yeah, I, d- I don't mind wearing them for wrestling. I yeah, the difference there. But, but like, if you're pulling guard and you're wearing knee yeah. pads, bro. Bro, your name is Daniel Munch. Yeah, yeah actually. <laughs> <laughs> at, that, at that point, yeah, you know who you are. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. that being said, though, man, it's not uh, you are coming out to wrestling. I suppose that's a good way uh, to to look forward. I mean, you've gone through all of this and you've come back from injury and you're starting to run again on your competitive streak. I know that you've got probably three or so potentially lined up for the rest of the year in terms mm. of competitions, but. You know, you stand. You're in pretty good stead to make some progressions into your game. You're rocking up to wrestling classes. You're rocking up to comp classes. You know, yeah, this but I'm is just still a shit wrestling. Yeah. So that's great. 
we've ah uh, we, yeah we've wrestled so we had we got to have one wrestling interaction i think it was pretty close to the end of a class yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it was a two minute round i think yeah oh yeah and there was that other one where... <laughs> yeah you were pretty sad after that two minutes but you learned a lot and then we had an interaction at comp class I think I just watched a video of Eduardo Teller starting with his hands behind his back because he knew the guy was going to pull guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy couldn't get a wrist grip on him to pull from distance. So he had to come too close. And as soon as he got close enough, he just shot and got the two points. And I'm like, that is genius. That is genius. So I did the same thing to you and ankle picked you. And I have... It was a sad moment in time. I had no idea how to respond to that though. Well, the thing is... You felt bad. I felt bad. <laughs> you know, the people who are watching felt bad. It wasn't. It wasn't a productive technique. But it was hilarious. It was so funny at the time. <laughs> it's great. And I don't think I tried it later on. I'm like, oh, that doesn't really work. <laughs> and then Jackie tried it. And she's like, no, oh, Nick's a dickhead. <laughs> that was just unrelated that she said that though. <laughs> That was just something completely separate. Yeah, that was yeah. separate. Yeah, she was just saying that anyway. She wasn't wrong. Oh my god! But uh, yeah. you got some competitions coming up for the rest of the year, man. Yeah, you're looking forward to it. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm I, speaking um... for you now. Yeah, <laughs> these aren't questions anymore. Yeah. Oh look, I'm I'm so hyped. Like I, going from like this period of not being able to compete and now going, holy shit, four competitions yeah. in a month. Yeah, yeah this is awesome. Yeah. Um, I had to like take this like brief period of like, hang on, let's not fall apart. Um, mm. and I'm now just super excited to like get into this next comp season of, you know, you know, we've got the M16 Rab Robin coming up, which I'm so, so excited for Harry Malazzo to just turn me into a little ball. Are you in his division? I... <laughs> you in the open weight. Wanted round. to do open weight, oh, right? No. And, and yeah, but just... You ever just like put your name down for something? You click like the, yeah, I'm going to sign up for this. This is going to be such a great call. And then you immediately regret your decision because you look at the bracket and you're like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's my constant call outs of Craig Jones. <laughs> a great depiction of this. Um, but with that, with that being said though, like at the same time, I would like love to, you know, still have a match with Harry Malazzo. It's going to be fucking awesome because um, you know, people that want to see me get absolutely fun get to watch that. It's going to be great. <laughs> so it's good for entertainment. Though. Absolutely. It's a community builder. Exactly. <laughs> we give the people what they want. Yeah. The entire thing of like, you know, me trying to get, um, you know, wins has just been to build up this whole like villain arc. So that way Haramalaza <laughs> can just, uh, you know, put the hurt on me and, uh, you know, we, we get the whole, we get the whole glorious hero in his gold medal and it's oh. going to be great. You actually just reminded me. Speaking of villain arcs, uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to look up ba- Batman One Bad Day. Hasn't come Ooh. out yet. Hasn't come out yet. Okay, yeah. But just look up Batman One Bad Day, and you won't be uh, you won't be disappointed. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm currently like going through Dark Knight's Metal at the moment. It's sick. Oh, no, you took my advice. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Dark Knight's Metal is so difficult to explain to anyone who doesn't read comics. Like. So Grant Morrison writes all of his uh, stories, whether it's Batman or not, at peak LSD trip. He's he's like, if Hunter S. Thompson was a sci-fi nerd and liked to to write Batman stories, that's what you'd get. 
He is out of his fucking mind, man. But he he is in charge of all of the dealings with the multiverse, right? Yeah. So whether it was Flashpoint Paradox and now Death, uh, the, you know, Dark Knight's Metal, which is a Batman story, it's all of those through different universes issues can arise and possibilities can arise from that so death metal is well it actually goes back all the way to batman r.i.p because they're talking about a specific metal substance but really it's the exploration of the dark multiverses which arise from any possibility any thought any apprehension any level of paranoia uh, that anyone has ever had that has essentially created a dark universe. But they're looking specifically at Batman and his paranoia and Which the dark universe. Which is terrifying because he is the most paranoid exactly. person ever. And just the depictions of story after story after story of his worst fears taking shape in origin format in the dark multiverse. Yeah. But because of the nature of the negative multiverse or the negative uh, dimension that it is, it's always doomed. Yeah. So where the positive dimensions are based on linear time and moving towards greater purposes and evolution and all that kind of thing, the dark multiverses are moving towards their own demise. Yeah, yeah. That's their purpose. So, yeah... When the Batman Who Laughs, which is a dark multiverse version of Batman, assembles all of the dark multiverse Batman possibilities, including the Drowned and Devastator, and it's absolute anarchy, man. It's such it's such great. It's not good storytelling, but it's great entertainment. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I like, like it a lot. You want to see some chaotic shit on a page? Read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Man. I'm so glad you took my. We're going to be talking like this forever. We're going to have to get you back on the podcast, man. Oh, for sure, man. Anytime. That'll be cool because we've got so much more to talk about. (laughs) And I know you're going to be coming into the lab. And that's what I wanted to say. I just wanted to thank you. At the the end of podcasts, generally, you know, if it's some sort of weird interview that I do, (laughs) I, I, you know, I like to ask the person if they've got any thank yous. But I wanted to thank you because you're one of those people who sort of took a chance on us. You, you didn't know me that well. I know I dropped into Terry's once and, and ended up running a class. Um, <laughs> but, but just real quick, was that completely impromptu, by the way? Yeah, he just rocked up. <laughs> and he's like, Nick, do you want to show some techniques? And there was some stuff that I've been thinking about that I wanted to do yeah. here. Yeah, so yeah, like eventually, yeah, 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 the claw and the power half. And I'm like, yeah, I'll show that. It's fine. But that was really the only interactions that we had. And then you sort of took a chance on us. You saw the schedule. You're like, hey, Nick was all right. Let's see what MATLAB's like. And mm. come to the open day. And come to Leglock class. Come to comp class. Come to wrestling. And uh, I can't tell you enough how much that actually means to myself and Jackie. Mm. To have people like yourself choose to walk in the doors. Mm. All in all, we're a startup business. And we need friendly faces and we need community support. So the fact that you took a chance on us and, you know, and, and, are, and are staying and are coming to classes, and that's yeah. awesome, man. That's awesome. So I thank you for that. I appreciate it. Oh, look, it's, it's been wonderful being able to walk into the doors and, um, you know, get like razzed every now and then. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can't go all the way to M16 to do it. So, like, you know, this is just around the corner. And, um, but, like, with that being said, though, like the the couple of things that like you know that drew me in was, um, I guess like not only the way that you like break down technique and your teaching style, but um, 
just you were like so so open to um you know answering questions and just going off on like possible tangents as well and like i know that like you know, some people might say that that's a detriment, but I love the fact that, like, you know, we we get to you know explore jujitsu for the love of jujitsu yeah, here. Yeah, and I love to allot spaces and times to do that. You know, there's yeah. times for the hard line that like we're doing this technique. There's times for creativity and individual perspective, and I think if you can marry them both together, yeah, and allow for other men, yeah. that's why people enjoy it. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. You don't 100%. just if if we all tried to run in a straight line exactly like each other. We, how how do you ga- garner any enjoyment out of that? I think jujitsu would be shit if that was the case. Yeah, like it it wouldn't be what it is today. And we don't need that. The other thing that drew me in as well was your nickname. Because as soon as someone <laughs> says like Nick Batman Hughes, I'm like, oh yeah, he's he's a he's a he's nerd. That guy. He's he's a he's a nerd. Fantastic. And it comes through every session as well. How much nerd? But oh, it's so good. I, I guess at the end of this, I wanted to ask. If I wanted to give you the floor, sorry, if there's anyone yeah. you'd like to thank, highlight, acknowledge, whatever it may be, please oh, you, you have the opportunity to now. I have I have such like a long, long list of people. So I guess everyone that have ever shared the mats with mm. ever. A lot of people say that. Yeah. Because I like we're all products of our environment, mm. right? Um every competition, every fight, every person that I've rolled with, talked to jujitsu about, they've all shaped you know, how I've had, um, you know, my journey of, of jujitsu and it's, it's, it's such a, it's just a weird thing, right? I mean, obviously I'd love to thank, um, you know, uh, the fam for, you know, just, uh, um, not being too worried when I call them up and be like, Hey mom, can you take me to the hospital? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, most, most importantly though, I, I feel like, you know, I really, really need to thank, you know, Terry and Coops um, for just having such a wonderful and welcoming atmosphere at Balboa and, um, you know, taking my spastic white belt self under their wings and um, not only that, but like, you know, thanking my training partners during those early days as well. Um, uh, oh God, Fong, Evie, uh, Nora as well. Um, Vitor, uh, like just that, that initial group, Ash, Monique, um, having, having people that I could directly look up to. Um, it's, it's so, so hectic. Uh, like lucky, lucky Conway as yeah. well. Um, you know, someone, um, who, you know, is, is on the complete other side of Adelaide and <laughs> someone who, um, you know, I kind of just went down for an open mat with, yeah. but was just like the cruisiest dude ever. And, um, was like, yeah, belly down ankle locks are a thing. So, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> Thanks, yeah, he, yeah, he taught me other stuff as well. But <laughs> did he really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How to access the belly down ankle? Absolutely. <laughs> but um, just like I, Leo, Leo as well. For um, you know, without him, we wouldn't have jujitsu in Adelaide. Like jujitsu doing what it is here, and it's just, and even yourself. Like for, for opening up the Matt Lab and opening, you know, Batman Podcast. Like it's, I, I feel like when someone says like, what are you thankful for? Or what do you want to say thank you to? I just want to th- say thank you to jujitsu. Cause, That's awesome, That's because awesome. like, to be honest, man, without jujitsu, I wouldn't be here, man. Like it's, it's everything to me. 
That's awesome, man. Thanks so much for coming on today. We're going to get you back on because there's going to be some, we didn't, we barely scraped the surface <laughs> of all of our nerdery and conversations we've had in the past, but congratulations on winning the Breakout Performance Award. I'm Thank hoping you, to man. see you versus uh, Tommy Hayes on the next M16 oh, Open. Oh, no, nervous. Taking some steps up in the world. I haven't made that match. I've just made it now. <laughs> head cannon, head cannon. And uh, look, man, it's, it's been a pleasure and Likewise. looking forward to the future. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Same bat time, same bat channel for all the bat fans out there.